This is Kat from FOM, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on the show this week, we have Meha Shami of No Man. No Man's new LP, Glitter and Spit, was just announced, and we talk about the record, we talk about No Man's history, and Meha is a child of Palestinian refugees. She has a lot of interesting life experience and perspective on the ongoing conflict. We cover that, and we discuss how it has influenced Meha artistically. It's a great conversation, and that's coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support The New Scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Reviews. Give me Apple Podcast Reviews. Thank you so much to everybody who has submitted a review. We're up to 181. We just need 11 more on the push to 200. Keep them coming. We're getting close. Shirts. We have shirts for sale at Deathwish Inc. There's a bunch of short sleeve options and our long sleeve shirt. The long sleeve shirt is sold out in size large, but we have the other sizes. There's limited quantities of that long sleeve, so pick it up while supplies last. Also, you can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. No man, glitter and spit. The new LP was just announced. You can pre-order your copy today. You're going to want to hear this one. It's really good. And you'll hear more about that record direct from Maha shortly. Join the Iodine Noise Cult, Volume 3. If you sign up, you'll get every new Iodine vinyl release in 2024. That's all 14 records that are coming out this year. You get rare deluxe variants, free shipping, bonus flexies, and hand-numbered obi strips. There's only 50 spots, so sign up soon. One Line Drawing will be playing ZBR Fest this May in Chicago. Jerome's Dream have East Coast tour dates coming up in February. And the Bucket Full of Teeth discography is out there. Listen to it. Buy it. Get it. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Death Wish Inc. That's right. Death Wish Inc. is our sponsor for the month of January. And here is an update from the label. Check out the new track from Chastity. It's called Nightmare and it's available everywhere for streaming right now. Nightmare was an unreleased track from their excellent LP, Suffer Summer. Chastity will be headlining a full U.S. tour this spring to celebrate their trilogy of releases. Listen to the new song now and pick up tickets for the tour at chastitysongs.com. Also, Brandon Williams from Chastity was on The New Scene, episode 105. Check it out great band. That was one of my top releases of 2022. You can follow Deathwish on Instagram at Deathwish Inc. 
or check them out online at deathwishinc.com or deathwishinc.eu for our European friends. Okay, so listen, check back in with me after the conversation with Meha. I'm going to do a wrap-up on that conversation, and we have an artist spotlight interview with Colin Smith of Capsule. I recently discovered Capsule. They're an excellent band. They just put out a great new EP called Ferox. We have that to look forward to. But first, we are going to speak to Meha Shami of No Man. Enjoy. All right. We are here now with Meha Shami. Meha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Keith. Yes, Meha. It's great to have you here. You know, there's a lot going on with you. We've got a new No Man record called Glitter and Spit that's coming out soon. You've had a pretty excellent run with the band. And look, a lot has happened beyond that. And we're going to cover all of that. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, Keith. Um, It is a loaded question these days for many of us. I don't think it takes being Palestinian, but I am from Palestine. Um, And so with what's happening in the motherland today, I think it's, it's both gutting to see the loss of life that's happening, as well as inspiring at the same time, just to see that this may be a turning point and uh, to see so many folks sort of step in and think about fighting for liberation. Yes, there's that's certainly been a uh, a major point in the news but and there's been stuff going on in between Israel and Palestine for a very long time now. And this we know and I want to talk more about that and get uh your viewpoint on that direct from the source. But first, I want to get to know you a little better. Where did you grow up? I was born in Houston, Texas, uh and was there for until second grade. Um, I did spend some of that time in Palestine, spent my summers there, spent part of second grade there, and then moved to the DC area to Northern Virginia, um, and have been here since I think 87. Uh, so have really spent some time there, but again, I think that DC has, has definitely been where I've, I've sat put for a very long time. Right. Right. Your parents are actually Palestinian refugees. Yes. That's right. Uh, they uh, were both uh, born in Palestine. Um, my father came here for his education and was not able to return. Um, and yeah, uh, my they were born in uh, Palestine before 1948 when Israel was established. So what happened? Your dad came here for school, tried to go back, and they just said no? Uh I don't know if it's as as quick and dry as as dry as that, but he came here. There was a moment in time where 
they were handing out something called a huia. It's like a, I don't know, a, a birth certificate, something that, that, that mentions that you're uh, able to stay there. Although that's, I don't know, there are plenty of people that, that have that, that are, that are not able to return. Um, so I think they're just part of a broader expulsion of Palestinians over time, like that has, that has been happening since, uh, 1948 when 750,000, uh, Palestinians were, um, expelled as part of the Nakba, uh, uh, which is a term that we use. It means catastrophe. Um, so some of that has been like just over time, but yes, uh, uh, unable to return. Wow. So uh, they stayed in America and had you, and they're living in the D.C. area. Uh, yes. Well, my father is no longer with us. He passed in 2017. But yes, he did. Uh, we They came to America. Um, father was uh, an academic, uh, uh, was an educational consultant. Mother, as well, was a teacher. And uh, yeah, raised, raised us here with uh, close ties back home. You have siblings as well. I do. I am the youngest of four: um, Jamila, Mona, Hamuda, and myself. Oh, nice. So you said you would spend summers in Palestine. Now, did you go there by yourself? Did you still have family there? How did that work? Uh, yeah, we would just go back and see family. We still have family there now. Uh, we had a, a home in uh, Ramallah and uh, a place in Beit Or Tahta, which is the the village that I am from. So, you know, again, it's, we, we'd always say I'm going back home. It was not like a trip. It was really, you know, returning home to be with a family that's there. Um, and, uh, some of them are still there. How old were you when you started going back? Oh, I can't, I mean, since I was, as long as I can remember, I don't really, I, I have memories of, uh, being at our home in Betur as a very young child and uh, hanging out on the land, eating uh, uh, food from the trees, eating nuts uh, in our land. So as, as long as I can remember. Who would you go back with? Because uh, your parents weren't allowed to return, right? They're allowed to return for moments in time. That's a, it's a good, that's a good question. I should clarify. We just aren't allowed to return and live there. So we would go. And so for example, when I went, I went in second grade and the idea was that the kids would go, we would uh, pick up the language, be, you know, uh, around our culture. And, uh, because of the Israeli occupation, they stamped our passports and we were only allowed to stay, I think three months. Ah, I see. And how did you like going there? I mean, it's always mixed. It's it fills your it fills your heart to be able to go home. You know, as someone who is fortunate enough to have multiple cultures in my life, you don't totally feel full here, and you don't totally feel full there. But um, you know, going there, traveling there, uh, means arriving as an American with your American privileges. But if you're a Palestinian and you go through Tel Aviv airport, you are set in a special line. You have interrogations that exist. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit loaded. Um, being with family, completely worth it. Being home, completely worth it. Uh, arriving, being strip searched, especially as a child, not understanding why, uh, ha- being interrogated for hours, having machine guns in your face, uh, going through checkpoints, uh, and you know, sneaking in to go home because a lot of the roads there they don't allow Palestinians on 
was or like some of my earliest memories. So being stripped, searched, and interrogated for hours as a child. Yes. So would your parents be in the interrogation room with you? Would they keep you separated? I mean, what was that like? Uh, yeah, I do remember having my mother with me, but I also remember her fighting to stay with me. We didn't separate, uh, you know, with when there was an attempt for that to happen. Um, and it was, I think as a kid, it was confusing. And in my adult life, which, uh, it's been a minute since I've been back. The last time I went back was I think 11 years ago. And I went with my partner, uh, uh, Matt and, you know, still had the, had the interrogation at that point. So going through it as a child, uh, versus going through it as an adult, when my parents, you know, weren't there, it sort of gives you another lens. And honestly, speaks to my parents' uh, ability to show up for their kids fearlessly, make sure we felt confident um, that we were going to be okay and to, you know, persevere in some pretty um, humiliating circumstances and treatments. Do you remember being young and asking your parents, like, why is this happening? Why are they doing this? And your parents having to explain this, this big situation to you? I, we understand, I mean, being born Palestinian, you're, you're born with this cause. You're, you go to school, you, Palestine's not on a map. People are confused. Uh, some people deny your existence. Um, and so I wasn't super confused. Like I, I, I knew that, that we weren't being, going to be treated the same as others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It was sort of like, it's a, it's resistance to keep returning back when you were being treated that way because it's supposed to deter you. Uh, so it sounds like culturally you're aware that people are aware of the situation. And so because of the Israeli occupation, mm-hmm. it's made very clear they don't want you there. But culturally, we keep returning because this is our home, yes? That, yeah, I think that's well said. That's well said. What age do you really, well, it sounds like uh, culturally you're aware of it from a young age, but uh, I mean, do you get angrier as you get older and you see more that's going on? Like, what is your relationship with this as you get older and, and see and understand more? On one hand, there's like frustration. I can't believe this is still happening. Like, how are we still, you know, how are Palestinians still living under occupation? How are... uh how are people viewing it as sort of this equal footing side by side thing? Um, and you know, yeah, that, that's still extremely frustrating to me. The what's happening right now in Gaza and honestly in the West bank, it's not just happening in Gaza, even though, uh, things are excruciatingly bad in Gaza. Um, it, it's some of the worst that I've seen and, and it's super disheartening. It's also very difficult to know that you are living in a country that's making it possible, that it is our tax dollars that is making it possible, that Biden is coming up with $14 billion aid packages um, to send to Israel, to that he is that the Biden administration is bypassing Congress to transfer $150 million in military equipment, that they're rushing sales of thousands of munitions to Israel, skipping standard you know, periods uh, that are usually observed. The flip side of that is there are people who aren't born Palestinian like myself that are adopting our cause. And that is very inspirational. Um, and it it does make me think that though 
the cost is high, that this is a turning point. Yeah, that's something I was interested in asking you, Meha, because I see a lot of, uh, well, there's no there's no better way to say it. I see a lot of white people talking about it and sometimes sure. <laughs> arguing about it on Twitter, back and yeah. forth. And you know, uh, people are crying anti-Semitism and other people are saying, no, it's simply a genocide. That's what's happening. And the American propaganda is covering it up. And look, for me personally, uh, the news sources that I trust, which are not mainstream American news sources, uh, it just, it seems like there's a a genocide going on and people are covering it up. And from people and news sources that I trust, that seems to be the talking point that is going on. Absolutely. And, you know, this crisis didn't start two months ago, didn't start in October. It's an ethnic cleansing that's been going on and that works for over 70 years. Um, It's not a war. A war assumes some sort of symmetry. Um, So, you know, you really need to think about uh, the relationship between an occupier and people in a cage And, and for Gaza, you know, people who have been in an open air prison. So I think that's fair. And, you know, it's, it's upsetting because anti-Semitism is a problem and it is prevalent and um, we need to make sure that we are calling things out for what they are and uh, working with intersectionality top of mind so that we can combat systems of oppression. That makes sense. That makes sense. But back to the white people arguing thing, the, the question <laughs> I wanted to ask. Sure. Are we helping like uh if you know if we're informed if we're involved if we're protesting yep. are yep. we helping is that do we want us involved um yeah. what what's your viewpoint on that I mean we need someone to help us carry the water I I do think it's important to amplify Palestinian voices for sure but I think those things can coexist mm-hmm. um there are days where you know I I feel broken, depleted. I feel like I'm starting to disassociate. I'm like, you know, if we're looking at what over a thousand children have had one or both limbs amputated, yeah, uh, surgeries are happening without anesthesia. Like I can't believe that we are at this point in the world. And I don't, I am proud. I'm, uh, I feel very grateful to have a platform. I will take whatever help we can get. And I think that change happens from folks. So the white people that you're talking about, um, many of them have been marching with us for decades. They're not new. Um, and this, I do think there is, uh, again, sort of a tipping point that happened, uh, where there's more folks and the younger generation, uh, maybe also like on the backs of, uh, black lives matter, like this country, had an awakening of sorts, Mm -hmm. not to say that they're at all, that they're the same thing, but there is able to see some of the concepts that are similar. Um, So I'll take it. I appreciate it and I'm grateful for it. And uh, yeah, I'd love for them to continue speaking up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, you know, thinking about it, all the like-minded people that I see and they're easy to spot, they're, they're involved in marches. uh, They're out there, they're protesting. People are signal boosting on Twitter and other social media platforms to get through all of the uh, the propaganda that's out there, which is a lot. And yeah, I guess it's a tricky situation because I, I've been in this situation where, and this is what I'm kind of referencing with the the white people thing, or I should just say I should just say non-Palestinians in general, not to uh, not to generalize like that. But I've been in the situation where if you even bring it up 
to certain people, like uh, Jewish people, I guess. If you even bring it up, you'll be called anti-Semitic or uh, it'll turn into a very heated conversation very fast. And I don't think that's helpful. I think I think we certainly need to be able to talk about it at a minimum. Then much more needs to happen than that, but we have to be able to talk about it without running to anti-Semitism because, you know, based on what you're saying and based on what a lot of people are saying and based on things we're seeing, it's a genocide. Well, and, you know, there are fantastic groups like Jewish Voices for Peace who have been very vocal, who took over Congress to demand not in our name. So I... I have marched with my Jewish brothers and sisters. You know what I mean? So like, I, I definitely uh, think that the more that that movement, their voices are heard um, is great. And I commend them, you know, uh, for speaking up. I know it's not always easy, but I think there is, it's important to separate out um, Judaism being Jewish uh, versus, uh, you know, Zionism. And, uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it, those are, those are two different things. I think one of them is a political project, um, that's failing. And the other one is something that needs to be upheld and, uh, respected and protected. Right. Yeah. I've seen some of that where is, uh, Israeli people will be speaking out or, you know, refusing to go to war or something, just, just stating the situation for what it is. It makes me think of, uh, Vietnam in the 60s and 70s here, right? Like uh, people had to really rise up and burn draft cards and really make themselves heard to get that meaningless war to end. There's, yeah, there there is a term for that called the the refuseniks. And I think that they've been a great example of, you know, people don't think of another option until they see some things modeled, you know, for them. So I think... Uh, yeah, I've uh, really appreciated seeing more people opt out of military service. If you live in Israel, and I don't know, you may already be aware of this, military service is mandatory. So it's, um, you know, p- part of their high school experience. So I think uh, seeing other options and alternatives and people saying no um, is a, a is great for others to see. Oh, it's mandatory. I didn't know that. Yeah. If you, uh, if you, all citizens are expected to serve in the military. Do you run into opposition outside of your home country for being Palestinian or supporting Palestine or having the beliefs that you Me? have? Yeah. Like, do you run, oh. do you, does it, does it cause you problems here as well? Uh, for being Palestinian and having the views I do? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, in America and when I travel, is that the question? Yes. Yes. I mean, f- for sure. Uh, because here's what I'm thinking. All right. If I say I'm pro-Palestine, perhaps an Israeli or Jewish person could mistake that as me being anti-Semitic. And that would be an incorrect assumption. But what about you? Outside of what's happening in your country, like how are you affected? What kind of things do you deal with? I mean, the things that I deal with growing up in America, I was taught I didn't exist in history books. So that's... um definitely part of my experience here. Um, and I have vivid recollections of teachers telling me that I wasn't from Palestine because there wasn't a Palestine and other students showing me a map and telling me that there's no Palestine on the map. So if you're talking about like childhood upbringing, there's that. Wow. If you're, yeah, if you're talking about, you know, jobs, I've definitely had people 
you know, make references that are stereotypes associated with Arabs more broadly, like background checks. And if they find out that I put a bomb somewhere, um, I will say though, like your note on, I am surrounded by a fantastic network. So like I have plenty of, uh, Jewish, uh, friends who have been along on this journey with me. It hasn't been like something that I've seen as this versus that. So, you know, and that's, that's always the case when we, we do this Gaza 5k for UNRWA, uh, to raise money for mental health services for children. That's something we've been doing for a while. Our, our, our team is called punks for Palestine. And it's, uh, it's, it's during COVID we did it like, uh, remotely. So folks just ran no matter where they lived. And some of our top folks running are Jewish friends of mine. They're the top uh, folks who are raising money. So I've never really viewed it as, as, as that. There's been a, a distinction between um, Judaism and Zionism. Okay. I think we need to be able to make that distinction. I think everyone needs to be able to make that distinction. Not everyone can, but that's the hope. And it's important that they know we have their back too, because anti-Semitism is a problem. We just need to be able to, to call it out and not point at the wrong things and not allow for for dialogue. I think it's a very dangerous thing to do. The other thing I would add to your question in terms of my travels, uh, like musically, like in, with our band, if you travel, I would say a lot of uh, other countries are probably further along than the US, uh, which is in bed with Israel. But um, Germany is an area that um, I think there's some 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 guilt and not all of Germany. We have fantastic uh, friends and punks in Germany that have booked shows for us, but um, we have gotten received pushback when I am vocal and saying something on stage for Palestine there. What kind of pushback? Uh, they, <laughs> they are pro-Israel, pro-IDF uh, in pockets of the punk scene in Germany. And it is an outlier in our travels. And it's not, it's, it's been that way. I remember when majority rule, uh, my partner's band and the, the rest of no man used to tour and come back. Cause Majority Rule was very vocal on Palestine. Their record interviews with David Frost, the cover of it is uh, a scene from the Intifada, from the uprising. Um, and they would have folks that were um, that were disappointed and that, that challenged their thinking there. I see. I see. So what was your entry point in punk, hardcore? Like, what grabbed you? What bands did you get into initially? How did you discover the whole thing? <sighs> well, let's see. My initial music was always prominent in our house. Uh, you know, my, my family, my father had, uh, records from my mother too, from, you know, famous like Arab Palestinian singers. They also had Johnny Cash. So like music was just like all in our house. And I remember like going to like Arab nightclubs and like as a family and like falling asleep there. Cause my family really just, you know, enjoyed life and music is a big piece of it. Growing up in Houston, Texas, and being the youngest of four, uh, my older sisters, uh, Jamila and Mona, were really into metal. So like, <laughs> my like entry point uh, really is like metal and thrash. I love Sepultura. I love Creator. I love Overkill. Um, and so I think I had sort of, I liked heavy music. Um, and I still love those bands quite a bit. Yeah. 
Um, and then, you know, just getting older and finding my own way and, and, uh, music being in DC, I was obviously very close to, um, DC punk, which tends to be more political, socially conscious. So I think there was like this combination of like, I like heavier music and community, the collective, um, was something that I found in the DC punk scene. Um, so to me, that's sort of the, like the why probably like I liked the music I was already into it. And the fact that there were shared values that probably come somewhat from the home I grew up in and the culture that I was around, um, really turned me onto it. So other, other, like, I don't know, uh, offshoots of like, you know, just the traditional, um, punk bands that probably were our gateway drugs. Uh, I was really into Bikini Kill and like Kathleen Hanna. Um, and I was really into Lydia Lunch. Um, and um, which Bikini Kill is actually playing a show that I'm going to in a couple of weeks. It's in Olympia benefiting Palestinian children. So like the fact that those those bands, those, those uh, people that you looked up to are still speaking truth to power today is so heartwarming for me. So just a little side note. Um, but yeah, I listened to a lot of bikini kill and then I don't know if you're familiar with who Lydia lunch is. Um, she was part of that, like no wave scene. Uh, there is a sonic youth, uh, song called death Valley 69 that she sings on. Um, there's a song on the no man record that's coming out. That's actually a cover, uh, from this record called shotgun wedding. It's called, the song is called burning skulls, but it's a Lydia lunch cover. Um, but yeah, they were like strong women, uh, who were anti power and corruption. And, uh, you know, that is what I got very into, uh, in late elementary school, middle school, and high school. Nice. So when did you start going to shows in the DC area? Like what kind of bands did you see? Uh, in elementary school, my, my family had like one rule. It was like travel as a pack. Like we just, we were always together. So I went to a lot of thrash and death metal shows in elementary school. And, um, <laughs> which so cool. I know it's, it's very funny. Uh, I actually, <laughs> I hit puberty at a, at a creator show, <laughs> which is just wild to think about now. Um, so I started going to shows very young and, you know, again, my, my, I was very lucky to have sisters, um, that were kind to me that brought me along and to be exposed to all of that music. Um, and then I just continued going to shows on my own, meaning like, you know, Fugazi, I'm very lucky for where I live, going to the Fugazi shows in the area and other, um, you know, local bands, uh, yeah, like strike anywhere. The, at that point, it's like going to shows that are people we know that are our friends we've grown up with, page 99, like obviously majority rule. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just went to a ton of shows. I like this uh, visual of a pack of sisters going to these thrash shows together. <laughs> <laughs> My brother came too. Um, he was really into King Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> Who I've seen. Nice. So when did you, did you imagine that you would want to be in a band one day? I mean, we know obviously that you ended up in one and that you did a guest spot with majority rule at one point, but was that something that was in your mind when you were younger? 
It's it's so funny because now, like since No Man started, I've I've received this question like, when did you decide to start like your own band? I always felt like I was part of something. So whether it was touring with Majority Rule, doing a cameo, having fantastic friends in Page Ninety Nine, um, even Cloak Dagger, I've done cameos with our friends Portrayal of Guilt. I sang a, a little bit on one of their uh, first records. I've always felt like I was sort of part of something. Um, so it didn't, it didn't feel like anything drastic because I was kind of around the same people and no man came out in 2017. Majority rule did some reunion shows, uh, along with page 99, they did, uh, reunion shows for the sake of charity, which goes back to probably why I was drawn to these humans, uh, to, to begin with for giving back. Um, I also lost my father that year. So I, you know, just was going through loss and, um, lucky and craving, uh, the support of my people. Mm -hmm. And so returning from those shows, you know, I think they really, uh, Pat and Kevin and Matt have been friends since high school, (laughs) like a very long time. They've been playing music together for so long. And so I think there was this desire to keep it up and, you know, uh, they get me this, this place, this space to put my pain. And, uh, we kind of like very scrappily recorded, came back, wrote music and recorded the first record. Um, and you know, that, at that point I was feeling, you know, one foot in front of the other and, you know, having them having music as something so very cathartic, uh, was helpful. So it's, I don't know, like it, it just kind of happened organically. It, there was no like before and after, like I'm in a band. Um, I do feel I say that and I feel definitely my own growth in it since I've been part of it and being very intentional about like what I want to sound like and, you know, contributing in, in different ways. But I had a very inclusive experience in the punk scene here. And um, this just felt like an extension of it. So you said you actually toured with Majority Rule back in the day. It sounds like you were pretty insulated with friends and bands and you would be out on the road too. Yes, for sure. So they're all friends. And the friends in page 99, which I think Mike Taylor did one of your shows, right? Yeah. Um, I've known them longer than, than, uh, even folks in majority rule, which is a very long time. So Matt and I started hanging out, uh, in 1999. So we were, you know, started dating and I met this, this guy, Matt, and I had, you know, told him where I was from and he just written a paper on the role of, uh, women in the Palestinian Intifada. So it like blew my mind <laughs> that, wow. uh, yeah, he was like, uh, yeah, he was, he's always had sort of a global mindset on things and he was easy on the eyes. So <laughs> I was like, all right. Best of both worlds. <laughs> Best of both worlds. But so, yeah, I used to like join parts of their tours. I'd like fly in, you know, t- to California for like a cool leg of the tour. They, they were, they were touring a lot back then. Um, and would just jump in the band, uh, in the van for like a week or so. How was it for you traveling with those bands and being in those circles? I think those type of bands, page 99, majority rule, Seisha, who was I just yeah. talking to the other day? Oh, uh, Brad from Orchid. And I was just, uh-huh. ha- I was just having this conversation with him. That scene, those bands yeah. seemed much more open-minded than where I was and who, and the type of shows <laughs> I was going to, because like the grind kids, I would call them, they had great fashion. Yeah. And they yeah. had great politics. They were politically conscious, socially conscious. Yeah. They were 
uh, involved with charities, right? But the the kickboxing yeah. shows that I went to, people were just <laughs> beating the shit out of each other and claiming territory and uh, yeah. gatekeeping what's real hardcore and what's real and what's not real hardcore. So I, it's it sounds like a pretty uh, generally welcoming scene, uh, which you were involved with. Yeah, you know, I think folks could always do better. And mind you, like <laughs> the like mainstream hardcore that you're shows that you're talking about I love those shows and they definitely satisfied something for me like musically I really you know I'm drawn to heavy music oh yeah um and uh, you know I love Hatebreed I love TUI like I I definitely listen to a lot of that hardcore not to say that I don't know the personal um <laughs> I was just listening values. to uh Hatebreed earlier today I love Hatebreed yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love Hatebreed <laughs> <laughs> um uh someone's gonna repeat that back to me later on i i do love hate breed uh but like and it's okay to like you know pick and choose where you feel connection and i'm not trying to change things where where i'm not wanted I'd rather like build the world the universe that i want to be part of right so like i i did find more of a uh alignment and values uh for sure, at some of those shows, like I said, like Majority Rules, like Anywhere, some of the Page 99 ones, I'm sure there's more than that. And being in DC, you know, they, they just there's a heightened, I guess, political, socially conscious mindset. But, you know, it's <laughs> like I said, I grew up in metal, which is not, not fantastic for all of those things that we just said. Right. And um, I, th- I think it's okay. Yeah. You just, like you said, you just have to find your world or build your world or both. Like, uh, all the kids I was involved with, we had shows that we would put on. Everyone was in like these crossover metal hardcore bands that were singing about like bigger things or just breakups or whatever. It, it depends. And then uh, in certain areas, it was the more gatekeeping hardcore purists and I would stay away from that. But I, I always enjoyed all the music and I would just go, uh, I would just go where it was warm, as they say. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's so on point for me. And like, I mentioned earlier some of the influential artists in my life for folks like Kathleen Hanna or folks like Lydia Lunch and like both not apologetic women, right? Um, and a little bit fierce. And so I think that might have uh, rubbed off uh, on me in terms of a, a path that I would want to choose. I'd rather not uh, uh, waste my time or, you know, give oxygen to spaces that are that I, that I don't feel seen or heard. Exactly. Exactly. So no man comes together. Your dad recently passed away and you're looking for some kind of outlet, it sounds like, but how, how does it happen? Do the guys from majority rule come to you and say like, Hey, why don't you sing on this? Or do you say to them, let's do something like, how does that initial conversation happen? I honestly think we're, we're all very close and we live in different places. Matt, uh, Matt and I live in the same house because we're married. Yeah. Uh, Pat lives in California. Kevin is in New York. Literally, we came back from the majority world tour. I think Kevin might have still been in Europe. And uh, Matt records bands. He's an engineer and a producer. And so we literally came back. We're like, let's write some music. It, it, we were just sitting in our house and have the luxury of having a studio. Um, and so, you know, wrote something. I think we sent it to Kevin and Kevin was like, hey, like, <laughs> let's do this thing. So, um, it just built from there, but there, there wasn't like a formal 
conversation. It was very natural. Matt and I had like flirted with the idea of doing something in the past. Like I said, he's, uh, they've always, you know, been inclusive of me, but we were like, let's just see what happens uh, as we write this music and put some lyrics to it. And I had an outpouring of, of it. I lost my dad. Also, it was like the year of me too, which was uh, both empowering and also a reliving of trauma, not just for yourselves, but for, you know, for other uh, women who had gone through similar abusive relationships. So it was, I, I had, I had some things to have that I wanted to say. And you did say them because let me tell you, it sounds like you've always had a really great screaming voice, even going oh, back to you. all the, the guest spots. Was it natural for you? Like, did you, were you just always kind of able to do it? I don't know. I feel I didn't, I was surrounded by support to say like, just do it, you know, and, and, and keep throwing yourself at it. And, um, I was certainly always like pleased with what the outcome was, but when I th- think now versus uh 2017 or 2018 whenever we started writing um that first record i have more intention now of what i an opinion of what i want it to sound like and more ability to control those sounds just because of experience and playing shows and uh you know the the natural evolution of the band so um i appreciate uh you saying that i do feel like um I have more intention around it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I wish I could scream like you. I can't. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried. But I, you know what? I do my own version of it, and that's fine. Um, that's too funny. I do have moments where I've connected with other women uh, in hardcore, like Sarah and Entry and Kat and Fom, both uh, some of my favorite people, uh, where we talk about uh Things that might be unique to us. Actually, I don't know if I can throw Sarah in this category, but I'll out cat because we both talk about this where I'm like, yep. She's like, you know, that song sounds brutal. And I'm like, I peed everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So we've had some unique challenges, but also uh, excited about the brutality that we can hit. (laughs) Yeah. Kat has been on the show as well. She's great. Yeah. She, we, we went to Europe this summer for three weeks. We played Iceland first. um, And (laughs) We shared a seat for three for three weeks, so we're we're very close, uh, and I adore her. Yeah, now that you mention that, I'm reminded of all the amazing shows she talked about, where they would played in Iceland and other places in Europe, and I was like, wow. We've been fortunate to do a number of shows with them, and and we flew out to Denver to do their final show, and you know they're they're lovely humans and. They're like family to us. We've been really, really lucky to travel together. They're an incredible band, you know, to, to be to tour with a band for three weeks and get so excited to watch them play every night um, has been incredible. Uh, and again, going back to just like fearless women and hardcore cat, I have felt her support on every level, um, but definitely uh, as it uh, relates to Palestine, she's been very vocal. Nice, nice. Yeah, a lot of people in our community have been very vocal about that. And I like that. Like, listen, people in the hardcore scene, in the punk scene in general, are usually pretty on the right side of things when it comes to these type of world issues. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes. Other times I feel like, you know, we went and played Fest recently. And it's not to say there, it's not to say that people aren't on the right side of it. And I love Fest. It's like one of my favorite (laughs) events. Um, 
but calling things out explicitly, like I, you know, those coexist stickers that have like every religious symbol on them. Oh yeah. Those are cringe. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> like, I feel like there's a level of that that can happen sometimes. And then there's folks that are, you know, just being a little bit more direct and, um, actionable about it. Uh, you know, I think you're right. Like punk at its core is something that challenges like, uh, establishment and, uh, tries to break constructs. Um, but sometimes I think people like things to be clean and, you know, and pretty, and they don't really want to like be at odds if it feels like it's controversial. Um, and that honestly, like sometimes people fetishize like a loud woman in punk. They're like, it's great to have, you know, more women in punk, but they're excited. You're, you're loud and you have a mic until you're using your platform to confront abusers. Right. Right. Or like they're excited. You're on the mic and being vocal about socially conscious issues until you're causing disruption to like status quo ideals. And so it's uncomfortable and it has a little bit of confrontation. I'm okay with confrontation. Um, and I think that, uh, it's important that we continue to light that fire and push things forward. Yeah. I'm talking about the people with a real message, like forget the yeah. platitude people. Like if a punk band is like saying vote, vote, yes. I'm like, fuck you. Like <laughs> yeah. voting is, is meaningless. It's true. Everybody. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, I'm talking about no. someone like, uh, Jesse from stick to your guns yeah. or yeah. yourself yeah. who has a very direct, clear message in the area of like things that are actually going on and 100%. where we need to be. And that that's more the side I'm on. No. Uh, yeah. Keith, you and I are going to be good friends. That's right. <laughs> I agree. Yes. All right. Good. So no man, we have the band together. When do we start playing? How do we start playing? Are we gigging around DC? Like tell us about it. No man is very fortunate to have friends that are taking us along. So we're gigging and we're gigging intentionally because we live in different places. So uh, our friends in Darkest Hour and Damnation AD take us on some of our earliest shows. Uh, I think mostly East Coast. Uh, and yeah, that was, I think, the the first set of shows that we that we played. And just really felt that support again from, from folks that are in established bands that have, <laughs> that are giving us a chance that have no, they have no reason where they have to do this or just solid supportive people who I appreciate. Um, yeah, that's how we get our start. So we have the new record coming out, Glitter and Spit. Now, because I am a major figure in the world of podcasting now, uh, in my own mind, um, <laughs> I, I heard in advance of the record and I have oh, to great. say- Fantastic job. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, really just good from start to finish. And you know what? Not exactly what I was expecting. I was expecting like straight brutality from start to finish, unrelenting. But there's some good post-hardcore elements in here. There's some good like DC influence hardcore elements in here. It's uh it's really got it all. So I spy the the sampling in that track. What is that? Oh, okay. So that is Pat playing piano with some noise and effects that Matt played with. And it's my daughter telling a story as a very young, I think she's like four years old backwards. Ah, so they were, yeah, that, that is, um, 
what you're hearing through some of the uh, the noise and the haunting connections that we wanted to add to the record. It made me very emotional when I heard it without even knowing yeah. what it was. Does it do that for you too? It does. I think that, you know, whenever we get together, Pat and Matt will like go in a corner and <laughs> for hours and just like make noise. And it's very cool to, I mean, they met in driver's ed class. That's how long they've been friends. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, I know. Right. Um, and so just to see them be able to create um, and what they can come up with uh, is it just still blows my mind. And I feel so lucky to be around their creativity, but yes, I, I do feel that way from that. And the last song, uh, which is Damar, which is also an instrumental. Um, it, I'm not sure if you uh, were able to check that one out, um, but that Damar means uh, is like devastation in Arabic. Um, that's the translation of it. And so it's this guitar um, and it has some other elements that are there. Uh, and if you listen closely, you'll hear samplings of drones from Gaza. Yes. So like that's it's a very those songs, the music, they're very layered. Yeah. It's heavy stuff, not just musically, but emotionally as well. And, uh, you know, you got everyone just did a fantastic job. When, um, when did you start writing the record? We started writing it a year ago. Uh, so Matt records bands. We have a studio in our house, um, Viva Studios for anyone that wants to check it out. So typically what we do is like, we will have Pat uh, and Kevin and Matt and myself will get together. They'll write tunes in a pretty quick fashion. Matt will come up with uh, things first. He'll send it to them. And so the songs were put together probably about a year ago. And then over time, um, you know, doing the proper recording um, and then me adding vocals on top of it. So over the, probably over the course of a year. Do you typically come in at the end when the song is done or almost done and then you'll start to put lyrics over it? How does that work? Yes. Um, I mean, I'll listen to the and hang out with them when they're recording and working on songs or try to give my input. Um, and the, I, my, my process is I've always written my mother. Um, Kamala Shami is a poet and she's amazing. And I think uh, one of the greatest gifts that she has given to me is that uh, ability to write. So I, I write anyhow. So I take, uh, my, my words, my, and I will then put them to different, uh, patterns with the songs, but I write them independent of the songs. Ah, see, I think I need to get into that. I like, I like the idea of that, of just writing because you're, you're probably strengthening that muscle and then you can pick and choose where it's going to go into what song. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, again, I feel super lucky to have these folks that have been working together on music for so long, you know, to sort of help out and things are definitely very collaborative. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of write in the, I would be writing anyhow. Uh, th there have been moments in the past, uh, Matt played in this, um, other band called Haram. There's another Haram that's not his band. So there's, there's two of them, but like there have been points in the past that he's borrowed my lyrics for other bands of his. So, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, uh, a collaboration that we've uh, had in the past. Oh, nice! So he'll he's actually used some of your lyrics. Yeah, he has uh, for other bands. There might be one. He was in a band called Highway Cross as well. That's the sign of a strong marriage <laughs> if you can share <laughs> lyrics. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Right? Uh, we're yeah. He's he's wonderful. It's got to be good to be 
married and both have the same interests in music, be playing together, right? Because a lot of times in relationships, I've ended up with someone who has none of the same interests as me. And then there's a lot of arguing about how time is spent <laughs> or why are you listening to this horrible music, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we may have a little bit of that, but for the most part, yeah, we, uh, we have a lot in common, you know, when it comes to appreciation for like family and, you know, just like counterculture ideals. Um, so I, I do feel uh, super fortunate, you know, I, again, we met when I was, when he was 19 and I was 20. Um, so in some ways, like, you know, our parents even helped like raise each other. We were, our families are all one. So, uh, yeah. How did you hook up with iodine recordings for the record? <laughs> it's interesting because we have always put out our own music, uh, sort of like intentionally. And we met Casey who is friends of friends and, uh, had some conversations, never really thought we would, you know, work. It didn't, not that we wouldn't work. We just didn't, we, we, we like to have autonomy, uh, you know, creative control. And at times, you know, we know we're going to be bold about some of the things we say and we don't uh, want to be checked in that way. So we never really like, you know, entertained the idea. I met Casey through friends at shows. We, I think met for the first, we had written to each other in the past, um, about just music and, you know, uh, we was it was that a cloak dagger fairweather show i think maybe um like last year or the year before and i finally got to meet him in person he's wonderful and got to know him a little bit better and you know he came over and we chatted about what something what this could look like and you know felt like this was the right home the right place to have a partnership um and he has been so incredibly supportive, um, him and Joseph and, um, Jesse who just joined their team has been fantastic. Yes. Uh, and I, I'm really excited about it. You know, like, again, I just feel absolutely, uh, supported and like he is trustworthy. He's smart, you know, he's honest and, um, he knows what we care about, you know? So, um, yeah, he approached us and we had some conversations and we said, let's, let's go for it. Let's do it. That's the same thing I did with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. I've told this story before, but all right. My, my dream for the podcast was to partner with a record label because I saw some other podcasts doing that. Right. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I can do that one day. But then when Casey actually reached out about a partnership, my first instinct was to say no because i was like because i was like oh, i don't want someone controlling me maybe he's trying to take advantage of me so yeah. even even though that was my dream my yeah. diseased brain was still telling me no don't do it but yeah. thankfully yeah. i i got past all that and uh we we got it done i think that uh you and i have a case of the i call it the troubled teenage strips it's like when you like the teenager dies their bangs, you know, they bleach their bangs and they're like rebellious for like no reason. Like maybe we both win at Casey with like uh like you can't handle us. <laughs> yeah. Well I used to be I used to be really uh, still sometimes, but really in a mindset of like everyone is out to get me type of thing. Yeah. So very yeah. cautious. But uh I, I've reined that in a bit. Yeah, I think for us it's like we knew how you know we've been 
self-releasing for a long time. We record we record the record on our own. So we're like, we, you know, why we're, we're doing okay. And then when, you know, hearing some of his ideas and feeling like that added support and knowing that he like cared about us as people and about our music felt like we could try and do something um, different. I also like, you know, all due respect to how people want to execute against their art, but like, I, I don't, it's not a, a business for us. This is like something that is a release that we do for ourselves. It's fantastic when there's connection and it lands. And if people like it, that's, that's wonderful. But, um, you know, it's a, it's something we do to create art with our friends to travel together and to, you know, um, just sort of have that release. So what do you do? How long will you go out for? Cause you're in the band. Matt is in the band. What will happen with your daughter? Uh, well, <laughs> Recently, she's been joining us. I am very lucky. My mother and my sister are nearby. So, for example, when we went to Europe this summer, nine of us were in a very small van. Like I said, I was sharing a seat with Kat. Um, <laughs> and so uh, my daughter, Cammie, uh, she stayed here uh, with my mother and my sister. Very, very lucky. Like I said, like I've always sort of had this collective mindset, and it's because of the home I've grown up in. Yeah. Uh, however, like when we played fest, Cammy came with us. She loves best. She loves checking out all the different bands that are there. And uh, so when we can swing it and it makes sense, she joins us. How old is she? She just turned 12. Ah, okay. It's, what's what's <laughs> what's going to add some more interesting uh, measures is Kevin uh, and his wife, Carolina, had a baby three weeks ago. Oh, so yes, so like we we're gonna be rolling uh, hard as a as a family band, but we're gonna we're gonna we're, we're gonna figure it out. You're gonna be touring in a minivan. <laughs> we actually we have a trans like our home. We have a is it a 15 passenger van? Matt's car is a van, which again, like uh, the more the merrier to to, to join us. So yeah, I do. Oh, we'll see what that looks like. What does your daughter think of? the type of bands in this scene in general and of you in a band? Uh, I mean, she was born into it. So it's, it's been pretty normalized. Uh, the majority rule page and nine reunion shows were during her spring break. She went on tour with portrayal of guilt, majority rule on page 99. That's so, the coolest spring break ever. <laughs> and mind you, they're also, everyone treats her like they're like, she's, their own like she's uh, a part of it so um i don't think it's that strange because of what she's been exposed to now that she's like older and has you know her own interests um she definitely has like an opinion on bands she wants to see like recently yeah she really loves piss jeans and so she was like i want to go see piss jeans they're playing in philly take me and i also love piss jeans i was like sure it's like but she's like having more of her own drive and opinions and like, you know, when we went to Fest, Night Witch is like one of her favorite bands. She's really into merch um, and checking out the different merch tables. Uh, her and Jason Mazzola share that. So she'll report back on on merch to him. <laughs> um, so, but, and she sings and she plays guitar and she's writing her own music. Oh, really? Yeah. She's incredible. She is a force and she, it's it's so cool to have a kid like i mean i think i lucked out because she's just so like wonderful but she's also like seeing the world through her eyes is you know a learning experience for me so i'm grateful for it 
this kid is on the right path. <laughs> she, she really is. <laughs> I she love really it. She really is. Yeah. So Glitter and Spit recorded before the latest horrible news with Israel and Palestine, yes? Yes. And uh, so it must have been especially crazy for you. I mean, there, there's a lot of subject matter about that in your lyrics over the years and in this record, but then to see all of that happening, I mean, uh, talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's when I think about the record's themes, I think it's vocalizing, it's challenging power and corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's politically driven through like colonialist agendas or like mass consumption and technology distractions. Um, lyrically, I think it's asserting my existence and lived experience as a Palestinian and as a woman. So like, those aren't new things. It just happens to be like headline news, you know, right now, but it's also, you know, I think a reminder that this didn't start for Palestinians in October, that this has been going on, um, you know, for 70 plus years. Yes. Um, so that it, it is relevant and sort of like what's happening and it's, it, it may hit for more people because of awareness, like uh, in society here of what's going on, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not new for folks that are there. You know, there are some specific songs on there, like Can't Kill Us All, yes, um, which is about uh, the occupation, my experiences going there, uh, the loss of uh, family over time there, and what, you know, right of return may look like. Um, but yeah, I, it was written before what's happening now because it's been going on for for some time. You still have family there. Have you suffered any loss? Uh, yeah, we have. Uh, yeah. So in Gaza, we have suffered loss of like more distant cousins, you know, but, uh, and in West Bank, uh, we had, um, a relative that, um, was shot in the chest. Uh, the thing that's very interesting about what's happening right now is like, obviously things are hot in Gaza with this, like, propaganda about Hamas and there is no Hamas presence in the West Bank where 370 Palestinians have been killed there this year like including a 62-year-old man uh who was driving his cab like shot in the head um so that just goes back to a broader potentially planned uh annexation of the land yeah do you read a lot of the news here because between your family in Palestine and you here I mean, you must really be able to spot the bullshit when you see it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if you're it's it's interesting, too, because, yeah, I'm following the news, but I've also been there. So it's like I have friends that are like, you know, they'll be like, I'm going to check this source. I'm like, talk to people, like talk to people on the ground. So but in terms of like resources, there's family that's there. There's the lens that I just naturally have from growing up in it. Um, There's a journalist on the ground, Motaz. Aziza is one uh, who's developed a massive, like, I don't know if it's 17 million people following them uh, on Instagram. Uh, there's the Al Jazeera correspondent, Wael El Dadouda. He is the one they killed his family. They killed his, his son last week as well. So this is like how they're targeting some of the reporters. So there's specific people that I follow. In terms of like sources, there's Eye on Palestine. There's um, Middle East Eye. Um, 
there's the Institute for Middle East Understanding. Uh, Beit Salem is an Israeli human rights organization that does it, it's it's all rooted in you know the human rights violations, but still like you could read through some of the issues that are there. And then it, here there are people like uh, attorneys and professors and authors like Nora Arakat and Khaled Bayoun who um, are, have been great for distribution of information. So um, yeah. Those are some good resources for everybody too. It sounds like to get a uh, real information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, like a lot of this, there's something very unique happening right now with in brutal that it's, you know, it's like this televised live genocide that's happening. We're seeing it happen in front of our eyes. Um, and to be able to see that firsthand from the comfort of our homes is also just like, it's so hard, like, uh, it to not be in control. And not only that, to know that we're actually supporting it, funding it. Um, but yes, lo- there are a ton, ton of great resources. What about your daughter's relationship with the homeland? Will you be bringing her there? Has she been there? She, she went there, I call it a, a, a womb with a view. I was pregnant uh, when <laughs> I was there last, but she's been there. Um, and it was interesting because that was when I went with Matt and they tried to wave him through at Tel Aviv airport and then pulled me aside. And he was like, I'm not leaving my wife. Uh, and, and he was, you know, it was just, yeah. Interesting. So she, she came uh, on that trip, but she is not, it, it is very important to me that she returns and that she sees it firsthand. She has a heavy interest in it. She feel, feels very tied to the culture. Um, she's very, she's, we both have our Arabic duolingos uh, lessons that we take. Um, but yeah, she's she's very it's very much a part of her identity. Nice. So, let's talk about what we have coming up. Glitter and Spit, the upcoming LP on Iodine Recordings. When does it come out? It should be out end of March. Um and I think pre-orders will be end of this month. Yes, by the time you hear this everybody, pre-orders will be up and I urge everybody to pre-order this record. This is a this is a must have. You hear it direct from me. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, so, what about shows or any tours coming up? What do What do we have? What do we have? So, right now, I am uh, putting together some shows uh, for end of March, some record release ones uh, that are coming together. I don't. I'll announce them as soon as, as soon as they're done. And then we have some shows coming up with strike anywhere and praise. Uh, we're going to play Richmond. I need to verify the date and we're going to play New York. Uh, and I'm very excited about it. There are some of my favorite bands and actually I think before, uh, COVID we did all play together in Baltimore once, but yeah, uh, it's March 3rd. Strike Anywhere and Praise and Us will play Richmond Music Hall and May 4th we'll play St. Vitus in Brooklyn. Ah, excellent. Yeah. And then in addition to that, there's a couple of announcements that will come for some uh, fests in the summer. Um, and yeah, and then we'll continue figuring out what our tour schedule is. Excellent. Excellent. You ever have any problems with the other No Man? Uh, the, the group from the 80s? Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't think so. They haven't come after me yet. They haven't reached um, out or anything? <laughs> no, no, not yet. Uh, but yeah, we'll see if that becomes a thing. 
uh, you can think of our backup name for me. <laughs> well, your 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 O in no has like the cross through it too. Can you type that? How do you do that? You type it by pressing down the O and then hitting eight. But you know what is a nightmare when you go to Copenhagen and someone picks up your record and they say. <laughs> new man and you're like oh crap this actually has a sound <laughs> so um that's real uh but yeah uh yeah it's it, it's probably hard for search indexing and whatnot because of that character we threw in there but you know of course we want to keep people on their toes well meha i'm excited for the record to come out i'm excited for everybody to hear it and i hope this record brings you and the rest of the band a lot of opportunity because it's great and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. And there you have it. Maha Shami. Excellent, excellent conversation. I really can't wait for all of you to hear Glitter and Spit it's so good. It's so good. You're not going to be disappointed. And getting caught up on the history of the band was great. And of course, it was super powerful to hear from Meha about the ongoing conflict and everything that's happening in her home country and for myself to get educated on what's going on over there. And I wanted to clarify a couple things. You know, when I said I don't trust mainstream American news sources, that doesn't mean I'm getting my news from uh, Facebook or Reddit conspiracy theories. No, organizations like CNN or Fox News, they're owned by somebody, right? So there's going to be a slant, and uh, we know that America uh, backs Israel and the conflict, and we know that there's misinformation out there. So I like to hear direct from the people, direct from people like Maha, right? She has family there. She knows what's going on. She has family that's been killed. So I'm going to trust a person like Meha more than I am a, a large news organization with an agenda. And I was also curious about her perspective on other people's perspective of the conflict. So that's why I asked about you know what she thinks about white people arguing about it online or you know non-Palestinians being involved. I think the biggest takeaway. And the core of the discussion here is when Meha said, we need to work with intersectionality in mind to combat systems of oppression, right? We need to work together to support the people who need our help. And right now, the Palestinians need our help. And in addition, No Man are an excellent band. So thank you so much, Meha, for coming on the show. All right, so we're going to end the show with this month's artist spotlight interview. I spoke to Colin Smith of Capsule, and we talk about the band and their latest EP, Ferox. So enjoy the conversation, and I'll see you next week.
All right. We are here now with Colin Smith. Colin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, Colin, it is great to have you here. Capsule have been doing it for quite a while now, but we've released a lot of excellent new music in 2023, and I want to talk about that. But first, tell me about the band. When did it start? How did it start? Uh, The band started uh, right around 2005. Uh, Eric Hernandez, the bass player, and I uh, are really old friends and played in bands in high school and stuff together. And we kind of just wanted a band to start to go on tour uh, at the time. And, uh, you know, we just wrote a few songs, went on a tour you know, at the time, it was kind of just me and him. And we were just kind of writing songs together. And he had written some songs. I'd written some songs. And um, he, he played drums at the time and, and bass on the recordings. And I played guitar. And then we got our friend to kind of sub in for bass live. And the both of us just did vocals and played shows and stuff. Um, and, you know, the band evolved. We had eventually get it, got Ryan to play guitar. I mean, to play bass first and then went through various different drummers and eventually ended up as a four piece, just how we are now. Uh, So we are a four piece now. Yes. Yeah. We've been a we've been a four piece for quite a while now, probably since 2008, seven, somewhere around there. Nice. So uh, who were some of your early influences? I mean, when I hear it, I can hear a lot of... uh noisy hardcore post hardcore like uh, some dead guy or some jesus lizard and all that good noisy stuff but who are some of the bands that influenced you early on uh sure both those bands are great uh definitely and definitely listen to them at an early age um you know ar- around the time that capsule started to be completely honest we we love jerome's dream <laughs> we listen to a lot of jerome's oh, dream oh yes i still do Mm-hmm. Same, same. The new album's great too. Uh, so good. So, so yeah, that was a big influence. I mean, you know, various different types of hardcore. Uh, you know, Coalesce was a big one for us growing up. Also, and, yeah. You uh, know what? That I'm glad you mentioned Coalesce. That's another one. Now that I think about it, because they do that uh, groovy hardcore rock and roll noisy thing so well, and so do you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you know, and like, actually, it was funny. Coalesce, um, we had we didn't really listen to a lot of Coalesce when Capsule started, but then like shortly after we started playing, we started getting more into it because it was kind of a similar sound, similar groove, you know. Uh, but we grew to love them, you know, and they're what a great band. Um, well, we have tons of influence. I mean, a lot of metal, like, uh, I mean, Cannibal Corpse and... <laughs> There's, there's been so much throughout the years that's just kind of, you know, intricated into into our styles and stuff. Yeah, being from Florida, you kind of have to like Cannibal Corpse and Death, right? Sure. Oh yeah, a lot of Death, definitely, of course. So uh, yeah, the band has been pretty active over the years. Have you done a lot of touring? Like, have you guys toured uh, the U.S. or outside the U.S. at all? Oh, uh, we have. You know, we. <laughs> We took a kind of a big hiatus. I mean, not for any reason in particular, but uh, we did a lot of touring before like 2012, 2013. 2013, I actually moved to the West Coast from Miami uh, and kind of was just working and kind of doing my own thing. And, um, you know, the other guys started wrong, which is amazing. Great band. 
And uh, yeah, we didn't really do any capsule stuff for like 10 years <laughs> or something. And, you know, I had kind of like started to do my own thing uh, also recently. And, you know, we kind of recently just reconvened and like, we're like, you know, maybe we should just do this again. And, you know, wrote some new songs and just got back on the ball. Do you still live on the West Coast? I do. I do. I'm reporting live from Oakland, California, as we speak. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Yeah, that's my favorite part of uh, California, Northern California, San Jose, San Francisco. Love it. Mm -hmm. Same, same. I'm definitely more of a NorCal guy myself. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm looking at your discography. We had No Ghost on Rorschach Records in 2011, and then a 12-year hiatus. So, <laughs> right. what was going on? I mean, were, were you busy on the West Coast working? I mean, what were you doing? Oh, uh, man, you know, yeah, just working, really, and just kind of focusing on other things, just life-wise. And you know, actually, right before the pandemic hit, I had some songs uh, that I had written and decided to kind of do like a solo kind of thing. And actually, the way that Capsule kind of got back together was... Uh, I wrote an album and I was going back and forth to Miami to record it with Ryan, the other guitar player. And um, I I needed people to play the music with me. So I actually recruited Ryan and Eric uh, to come and play on the West Coast and do a little tour with me for this project. And um, and that's actually kind of we just kind of it's actually everyone in Capsule came to play on the project, the drummer, Eric. (laughs) So it ended up just kind of being like, oh, here we are doing, you know, some different kind of music a little bit. And why don't we just bring Capsule back? So that's what we did. Yeah. Who brought that up? Because I, if I was together with my band, but we weren't my band, I'd be like, wait, why don't we just do the band? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of pretty much what happened. You know, I like, yeah, I started this project. It's called Viral Sun. It's like pretty much, you know, it has like a hint of Capsule in it also, but I kind of focus more in the the singing kind of, I tried to do like some R and B kind of influence singing, uh, over the music. And, um, yeah. So like, you know, they came and we, we did a couple tours over here and then we were like, you know, we should just like do some more capsule stuff and kind of start that back up again. So we did. And, you know, it's great. It's great to start, have the boys back together and, you know, be writing for capsule again and just kind of just go in that direction. Right. What kind of work do you do? Oh man, different types. Uh, I was managing a couple bars here out here and now I'm just kind of doing some freelance art stuff and uh and so working at bars here and there. So it sounds like if you want to, you can make the time for yourself, right? If the band's going to go out and tour a little bit. Definitely, definitely. Uh you know, I'm kind of kind of hoping on it, you know. It's just it's been great, you know, doing uh releasing this uh new EP and playing shows as Capsule again and you know, we played the fest um, in October, uh, Gainesville Fest, and it was a lot of fun and it was great. And, you know, it was just like, you know, that feeling of just coming back together, you know, of family. And, you know, it's, it was really cool. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, the band is back in a big way. We have released, we have two releases in 2023. A, right? Uh, yeah. So, A actually was re- was technically released in 2013 or 12 uh but we didn't have anyone put it out we kind of just put it up ourselves online Mm. and um that's right around the time that i moved to california so 
it didn't really get a lot of recognition, I guess. It was just kind of we put it up and then we played a couple shows and then I moved and we didn't play after that. So uh, our friends, uh, Rorschach Records, Curtis, great guy, um, linked together with Robotic Empire, who actually put out our first record, who is, which is based was based out of uh, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, but now is based out of Seattle, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they came together and put the put the A record on vinyl for the festival and just kind of, you know, brought it back so we could kind of re-release it and just, you know, which is great, you know, and the packaging and everything looks great. So like, yeah, a lot of people have been coming to us like, oh my God, this is like a new record. And we're like, no, it's old actually. <laughs> but, but it's just getting re-released and it's pretty funny. Yeah. Just say it's brand new. People won't even right. know the difference. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. How did the show go at Fest? That must've been pretty amazing to play. It was, it was really good. You know, we played with Jerome's Dream also, which is really cool. And like, you know, some of those guys um, live over here, actually in NorCal in San Francisco, I'm pretty sure. And so actually one of the bars that I work at, uh, one of the other bands had played there, uh, Loma Prieta, Sean, the guitar player. Uh, so I just recently had seen them right before we had all played the fest. And I was like, hey, like, we're going to play the fest together. Like, and they're like, oh, that's really cool. So at the fest, we, you know, talked and just hung out and just you know we got to play right before them and it was really awesome you know just especially growing up listening to them and just uh and the show was great the show went great ms paint played too um as friends rust played just a lot of cool bands you know just uh very diverse and just you know we we used to play the fest pretty much almost every year before i had moved uh to the west coast and um it was cool just to like get back in that element and just like you know reconvene with all our friends and just do that whole thing again because Gainesville has a, a real special place in our hearts definitely nice nice so we have a which came out again in 2023 but I'm just learning that it's actually an older album which surprises me because it's such a strong release you know because I listened to a and Ferox. The, e, the new EP, Back to Back, and I was like, wow, these guys are back in a big way. We've got a huge sound, a strong sound. Things are really happening here. So, Ferox is the new EP, which just came out in December, yes? Yes, definitely. Yes, yes. So, when did you guys record that? Uh, how did that come together? Um, so, pretty much, uh, I think it was like October we went to record it. You know, Eric... Eric's a big, uh, you know, strong songwriter of Capsule and has been for a long time. And so he pretty much had written these songs uh, maybe during the summertime, right before the summertime. And he's like, hey, I got, like, I got some new songs that we could do. You know, we could get together and work on them and then go record them and try to have them out before the festival. So we're like, yeah, for sure. So we, you know, I flew to Miami, you know, we stayed there for like a week, went through the songs and just kind of banged it out and recorded it. And it sounds great, you know, and like we were super happy. That's how it came out and that we got to release it before 2024 came along and that, you know, it's, it's, uh, people are, are liking it. So that's really cool. Yeah. It was recorded and mixed by Ryan Haft, who plays bass in your band, correct? Guitar. He's the other guitar player. Yes. He used to play bass. Oh, okay. So he's, he's guitar now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, he, he, uh, he's an engineer, you know, he, that's what he does for a living. And, um, you know, he's great. He's recorded a lot of bands in Miami. You know, he's recorded a lot of different genres of, of different musicians, you know, still does. Uh, he's got a great studio down there. And, um, yeah, we've always kind of, ever since the No Ghost record, 
we've been recording with him pretty much and just you know and it's great because we get to take our time and you know really get in there and do what we want to do musically and you know it's it's awesome and the studio he has now is amazing and uh you know it's just it's just very comfortable (laughs) to be able to record with him that's awesome yeah the recording is really good too so how does it work when the engineer is in your band do you have to say like hey do we pay you do we not pay you? You're in the band. How do you work it out? Uh, it's it's a little bit of both. You know, I mean, everyone needs to make money, right? <laughs> so, yeah. um, you get charged the friend rate, maybe. Right. Yeah, we get charged the friend rate. You know, he makes a little money, but you know, it's also for his benefit too because it's our band. So, uh, we give him a little, mo- make sure he gets a little bit of money. You know, and then we get to like really just take our time and just kind of get in there and, and work hard on the record. You know, and it's uh, it's it's awesome, you know, because we could just do it at our leisure. And it's it's really it's really makes it a lot easier. Definitely. Yeah, that's got to be good not to have to rush, because usually I only have two days to get it all done because I don't have a lot of money and I'm rushing. Right. I, that, that's probably the case for most people. Yes, definitely. You know, we we definitely do try to do a lot of pre-production, though, before we go to the studio. It's been a thing that we've always kind of done. Um, so. You know, even if it's great that we don't have to rush, but once we get in there, you know, we kind of know what we want to do. So we kind of just try to bang it out. And then any extra time or whatever, you know, we can just kind of add little things and just make it sound more powerful and and just, you know, just better. That's awesome. So the Ferox EP, was that self-released by you guys? Uh, Yes, it was self-released by us. Yes. We just we just kind of wanted to get it out there. So what are your plans for the future? I mean, we've had label interest in the past. We've had things out on labels. Do you want to get hooked up with a label? Do you want to tour more? Like, what's the plan? Yeah, you know, we've we've been talking a lot about that recently as a band. And um, everyone's pretty much on, on the same page. You know, we definitely uh, are, are already trying to write more music and uh, want to tour more. And, you know, and... You know, Ryan uh, has a uh, a daughter, you know, a uh, two-year-old. So it's been hard for him to, he has to work a lot and take care of his daughter. And, you know, we all work and stuff and we live in different places. The drummer, uh, uh, Derek Flanagan, actually, he actually lives in Spain. <laughs> so What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so wait, it's, you're telling me you guys are in California and Miami and Spain? That's correct. That's correct. Yes. Oh, man. I know. Wow. I know. We make it work. <laughs> we we've always kind of made it work though. It's just how? <laughs> Pretty um Derek, you know, Derek, he's originally from Boston. And when he started he actually played drums in a band called Furnace a long time ago from Boston that Capsule toured with. And Furnace kind of disbanded at some point and we were just going through different drummers. Uh and you know he's a good friend of ours and he's a great drummer. So we just kind of had him play drums, uh, for a tour and we were like, Oh, this is, this works perfectly. Uh, and then he, then after that, he had moved to Europe probably around the time that I had moved to California. So he's been over there, but also coming back and forth to the States for different reasons. And, you know, even when, before he had moved there, he lived in Boston and he would just come to Miami and we would tour, you know, then he would go back home to Boston. Um, but you know, we just we we make it work the best we can. <laughs> Still trying, but it seems to be okay. It seems to be working. Wow. So now I'm, I'm just I'm thinking about how hard the logistics are for a band 
even when you're all in the same place, but you guys are really spread out. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. We are. We really uh, want to make it work, you know, so we're kind of willing to just twist and do whatever we can to be able to tour and write music and just be together as a band. Yeah. And it sounds like you are making it work because we have the new EP. It's excellent. So make sure everybody out there checks it out. Why did you move to the West Coast? Um, I moved to the West Coast just kind of a, for a change of scenery. Honestly, you know, I'm, I grew up in Miami. I love Miami. You know, I go back periodically to visit my friends and my family. Um, I, I just I just needed something different. And I'm, I'm really glad I did. You know, it's opened up my eyes to a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, there's such great people here and great culture. And, um, you know, I, it, it's, it's amazing. I love it. And I'd probably stay here for a long time, to be honest. How long have you been there now? I've been here for a little over 10 years. Ah, uh, yes. So you're locked in. Yeah, I, uh, I've i been to Miami once. Actually, this past summer, my band was uh, on a little run down in Florida and South Carolina. And wow, Miami is crazy. Like uh, the the <laughs> place, the club we played, right? It turned into a nightclub. And then I went into the bathroom and everyone was like exchanging cocaine. And I was like, wow, I thought I thought this was just a stereotype, but like no. it's oh. happening. And then there's this main strip and we were like trying to load out equipment and we saw like four Ferraris drive down the street and everyone was decked out in cool clothes. And it, oh man, it was such a scene. That's cool. Was it, did you play at uh, Las Rosas? Was that the venue that you played at? Hold on. I'm going to tell you. Uh, Gramps. Oh, Gramps. Yes, yes. Yeah. Gramps, Gramps. Great. Great place, actually. I love that place. Yeah, I, I wish there would have been time to, I don't know, drink a Cuban coffee or have a Cuban sandwich or mm. take in more of the culture of Miami, minus nightclubs, because that's not my thing. But, uh, you know, we just kind of got to the venue and played. But I can see, I can see how you'd want to get out and be somewhere else, because Miami is kind of isolated all the way down there in Florida, you know? It is. It is. Um, you know, it's definitely its own thing. It's very isolated, you know, even for growing up, like, tr uh, you know, trying to see the bands you've always listened to, you know, it's like kind of a luck of the draw if they decide to come all the way down to the tip of Florida to play there, you know. Um, but yeah, and California is like the exact opposite. I mean, there's so many concerts, you know, I can't keep up with them. You know, my friends, I have different friends hitting me up every week, like, hey, you're going to come to this concert with me? And I'm like, no, I have to work. And this, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. It's great, but it's a lot, you know, too. It's better to have uh, too many options and have to pick and choose than zero options and wishing everyone were coming through, right? Agreed. Definitely. Yes. Well, Colin, listen, I love the band. I encourage everybody to check them out. I'll add them to our playlist. The new EP, Ferox, was just released this past December. So let's support Capsule, everybody. I mean, come on. What are we doing? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, definitely check it out if you guys can.